Good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Thank you. Let's begin this morning by entering into prayer and thanksgiving for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you today, of all days, for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, born of a woman, God in the flesh, went to the cross, died for our sins, was buried, and then you raised him from the dead three days later. And we come today to celebrate that victory of his resurrection and what it means for the world and for us. Father, we ask today as well that uh, Christians all over the world, whatever their circumstances, would rejoice today and realize that our destiny is tied up in what Jesus Christ did those three days, his death for our sins and his resurrection for our justification. And we just want to thank you so much, Father, for this gift. It's an amazing gift. And we ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would embolden us to preach this and tell people about this great news. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. As we think about and understand and come comprehend and rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should also realize the amazing things that come out of his resurrection and uh, the work that's being done to spread this good news. And so in that light, uh, we do this month look at Grace Prison Ministries, a prison ministry that um, changes the lives of prisoners through evangelism and sound Bible teaching. So we ask that you keep this ministry in prayer. Keithian Starling is the leader of it. And just like we rejoice in the good news of the resurrection of Christ, so too they, when they hear it and understand it and believe it. So please keep the prisoners in your prayers and keep the and Grace Prison Ministries. And that's their website, www.graceprisons.org. Um, most of you know John and Pam Jordan. They've been with us for a couple of years and they've now moved out to Portland, Oregon. Well, I heard from them. And they wanted to just thank us for everything we've done for them and for our prayers. And they say that they're praying for us every day and thinking of everybody. And they wanted me, if I could, and I now am, just take a moment today to wish all of us a wonderful and blessed Resurrection Sunday. And to pass on their love to everybody. So John and Pam Jordan. All right, just a couple other announcements. Schedule. Uh, Next Sunday, I won't be here. Um, As a matter of fact, I won't be here Thursday either, I figured out. Um, that just means because I'm going to a conference out in Phoenix, Arizona, Barah Ministries Conference, that um, Sunday, next Sunday, April 28th, Steve Pomeroy is going to be teaching on First Peter. So now that's a book that we all need to learn more about. Um, so I would I just invite everybody, please be here. Please pray for Steve. Um, it's going to be a great day. I also want to mention that because I'm leaving Thursday, we're not going to have a Bible study this Thursday. Okay, so no Bible study this Thursday. Next Sunday, Steve's preaching on 1 Peter. And then the following Sunday, um, which, is, which is the Lord's Supper, by the way, as well, Pastor Kingsley from Nigeria and as of late Edmonton, Canada, will be here with us. So I'm, we're looking forward to that very much as well. And again, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper um, on, on May 5th, two, two Sundays from today. Once again, too, I want to remind everybody about um, the orphans that are in... Um, Pakistan, Grace Bible Church, Pakistan's ministry, the 316 Children's Home. These young people are in need of, of support. Um, they, the way that that ministry works is they have 
people stateside who um, financially support and spiritually adopt the orphans. So Shazam. Never mind. Um, All right. I'm getting old. I'm drawing a blank. Wait a minute. Do I have them written down? Anyway, uh, all this information is on our website. Um, I do have their names. I do know their names. In fact, we're going to be sponsoring one of them. I should probably figure it out. Shanaz. See, that's close to Shazam. Shanaz is the young lady, and Yusef is her, her brother. And they had a couple, a family that was supporting them, but they had, they've run into some financial problems, and so they need some, some families, families to take up the support. Um, we have more details on our website, uh, Orphans in Need at Grace Bible Church, Pakistan 316 Home, on our website, www.lbible.org. And this, you can see that. I know I showed this last week, but um, here's our website. And then there's a thing called posts. And then the first item is about the orphans that are in need. So um, if the Lord puts it on your heart to support that, you can also generally support the um, Pakistan 316 home um, for orphans, or you can specifically identify that you're going to support one of these um, young people. It does mean that you'll have a financial commitment every month. Um, And they also ask that you spiritually adopt and pray for them. And from time to time, write to them. Um, we are really close to this ministry. And uh, they're doing a great work out there. It's one of the most difficult places in the world to be evangelizing because it's so overwhelmingly Muslim. And there's a lot of hostility there, to say the least, and a lot of terrorist organizations that are there as well. So please keep them in prayer. Let's try to do everything we can to support them. And um, please check out what they're doing. We also have a link on our website that will explain more of, of what they're doing as well. All right. Let's, uh, let's begin today and look at the title of today's message. And it's from 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, we're going to see about this. But first, I want to let, let you know about something I got. I received this Friday from Art Kim. And um, I don't know how many of you know this, but Art Moonlights is an obituary writer for the Jerusalem Post. Yeah, just kidding. But you'll see why I said that. Yeah, but he was rummaging through the archives the other day, and he came across this. The Jerusalem Times, obituaries, A.D. 33. And let me read it to you. Jerusalem, 12th of April. Obituaries, Jesus of Nazareth, 33. Died Friday on Mount Calvary, also known as Golgotha the place of the skull. Betrayed by his friend Judas, Jesus was crucified by the Romans by order of the governor, Pontius Pilate. The causes of death were crucifixion, extreme exhaustion, severe torture, and loss of blood. Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, was of the house of David. He was the son of the late Joseph of Nazareth, a skilled carpenter, and his devoted mother Mary. Mary and Joseph always maintained that Jesus was born in a stable in the city of Bethlehem while Mary was still a virgin. Jesus claimed that he is the Son of God and the Jewish Messiah. And these statements were used by the Sanhedrin to accuse and condemn him in a secret trial. But he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry. And he dined with sinners. 
And he worked many other miracles, including calming the Sea of Galilee and turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana and bringing one Lazarus back from the dead. And he preached the good news about his father's coming kingdom. He often foretold his death, and he promised that he would be raised from the dead three days later. His body was quickly buried in a stone grave that was donated by a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. And by direct order of Pontius Pilate, a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb. And at the special request of the Sanhedrin, a regiment of Roman soldiers also guarded that tomb. Well, the very next day in that same newspaper, there appeared a major headline and a major bulletin. They write, we have some amazing news. The most astounding thing has happened at the site of the tomb of Jesus. Reports are streaming in that that tomb is empty. One group, led by the Sanhedrin and the Roman troops who had been guarding that tomb, while they're claiming that the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples during the night. However, many other witnesses affirmed that angels appeared at this tomb, and they announced that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we have interviewed several of his closest followers. They've assured us that they have personally seen Jesus alive. They've talked with him. They've even ate with him. And they all firmly attest that he is alive again. This just in. We have now received an eyewitness account from a man named John, son of Zebedee. He was a very, very close friend of Jesus. In fact, he was at the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's out, he he's actually entered the empty tomb of Jesus. And here is his account. Let's turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's code that John used for himself. The other disciple that Jesus loved is John. And he said to them, and she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together neck and neck. But then the other disciple, John, ran faster ahead than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him. And he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus had been lying. And the angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, 
because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. By the way, that's the greatest pronouncement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ there ever was. By a woman. Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, Sunday, when when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Made a dramatic entrance, didn't he? Because it was all closed up, nobody could get in, the doors were locked shut, and just goes, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was not with them. And Jesus came, once again, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, just like Thomas before Jesus appeared to him. In every generation, there are those who will say that Jesus was not raised from the dead. But what would that mean? What would it mean if, in fact, Jesus has not been raised from the dead? You see, our title today comes from chapter 15 of the book of 1 Corinthians. You can turn there now if you wish. We'll be reading it in just a moment, a couple of moments. If Christ has not been raised, 
In this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is treating and confronting a single heretical claim. Some in Corinth were making this claim. And he takes that claim and he uses it. And he uses it to construct a hypothetical argument. Again, this was the claim. They were claiming that there was no bodily resurrection of the dead. Nobody. Nobody rises from the dead. That was their claim. And he takes that premise. And rather than freaking out and telling them what's what, he just takes it and calmly puts it in to a set of logical statements. That where he draws conclusions. If you, if you really think that's true, then here's what that really means. That's what he's doing. And in so doing, he's showing that just one claim, that claim, that there's no bodily resurrection of the dead, wipes out everything else they thought they could still believe about Christ. You see, they believed in Christ, but they just couldn't get their arms around the idea that the dead get raised. And his point was, you have to believe that, otherwise everything else about Christianity is not right. You can't believe Jesus is who he says he is, and believe that there's no resurrection of the dead. In so doing, again, he shows that one claim wipes out everything else they thought they could still believe about Christ. Now, in chapter 15, though, he he first does something else. We'll see that in a minute. He first gives solid evidence that, in fact, the resurrection of Christ did occur. He leads off with that. And that's in the first 11 11 verses of chapter 15. Chapter 15, 1 to 11. He explains that, in fact, there's really solid evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When we get there, we'll get there in a minute, please... Pay close attention. You will be running into people in your lives every day who, whether they tell you or not, they deny the resurrection of the body and then therefore the resurrection of Christ. You know, they'll say things like, you know, when we die, we go into a hole in the ground and that's it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Yeah, I have. So they say, you know what? It's absolutely ludicrous to believe that anyone can be raised from the dead, including Jesus. That's a fantasy. You see, that's what people think. By the way, millions of people think that. Billions of people think that. They scoff at the Christian message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, buried, died for our sins, and was raised from the dead three days later. So I'm going to give you an outline of what we're going to read today. After those first 11 verses, Paul then turns right to that claim that there's no resurrection from the dead. And what he does is he just logically, step by step, works out the devastating implications if there's no resurrection of the dead. That's in verses 12 through 19. But finally, he does something else. He comes back after that discussion, that argument, and he reaffirms the fact that Christ, in fact, was raised from the dead. And then he presents the glorious results of his resurrection. And that's in verses 20 to 28. So notice what he does. He first presents his evidence. This is why, this is the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. He then takes the claim of his opponent, demolishes it, and then reaffirms the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All right. It's an excellent, excellent way to go about this. That's like we always start with the gospel. A lot of people want to enter the unbeliever into an argument. Right away, I'm guilty of this. I had... I had some Mormons show up on my door. 
this weekend. And uh, I can't help myself. Anytime they show up, you know, they're all prim and proper. They're all like 19-year-old. I don't know what it is about the Mormons, though. They're like so good-looking, you know. But there they are, the two of them. And I said, they, they start they do their speech, you know. Where of this, where of that. I said, you know, I'm a pastor. Oh, where's your church? You know, they're trying to butter me up. And I said, you know, we're Lighthouse Bible Church. You should come sometime. And then they said, have you ever heard of our church? I said, oh, yeah, I have heard. And they said, well, uh, what do you think? I said, I think it's a cult. <laughs> now, that's not exactly the way you should go about things. But I didn't have a lot of time. You know, they're at my door. I had things to do in the house. Now, now sometimes you got to do, look, if somebody is coming at you fast and furious, with, and then you know they're not going to listen to your preaching of the gospel, sometimes you just got to get rid of them, you know. But in any event, the better thing to do is to just simply preach the gospel. Don't get into an argument. Preach the gospel. Don't you know that God's son came to earth, was born of a virgin? Don't you know that he died bodily on the cross for you and that his sin, your sins were placed on his body when he died? Don't you know that he was literally buried and that he was raised from the dead, never to die again? And all you got to do is believe that. You don't have to go on these missionary trips all over the world to think that you're pleasing God because only one person can please God, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what I should do. That's what you should do. Then, if they want to make a claim, you can demolish it with logic. But after you've given them the good news. All right. Let's now start reading in second, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse two, verses 1 through 11, the first paragraph. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, right away, which I preach to you, which you also, also you have received, in which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you. In other words, if you believe the message, the complete message that I preach to you, by the way, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you're saved. If you don't, you, you believed in vain. It just means that you believed in an incomplete message. And therefore, it's, 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 it's empty. If you don't include the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the gospel, it's not a complete message. And it's the foundation. And so if you t- take something away from the foundation... What's going to happen to the building? It's all going to crash. So you've, they, that's what he was saying. There's something missing. I know it because some of you are claiming that there's no resurrection of the dead. And therefore, you didn't really pay attention to the whole message. And you've got to believe the whole message to be saved. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, notice, as of first importance, the first thing that everybody needs to know. What I also received, he received it directly from Jesus Christ, by the way, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Notice, he died and he was buried. He died. His, his physical human body died and that body was put in the grave. And he was raised on the third day, also according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, that's the apostles. As a title, by the way, because uh, Judas was not brought back from the dead to, for Jesus to appear to him. The title is the twelve. At that time, there were only eleven. I know that's a little confusing, but that's the way it is. All right. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at the same time. In other words, there were five hundred people in one place, and he appeared to them. Now, you can claim a hallucination if there's like one or two people that saw it. 
You know, I pick on the Catholics again. It's the religion I know best. But they have these appearances of the Virgin Mary. And it's always on a mountain somewhere. And it's always like two people saw it. And they're like, they're like 15 and 14 years old. You know, two 15-year-olds can have a hallucination on top of a mountain, by the way. But 500 adults cannot all have the same hallucination. Does that make sense? They're like, you, you, yeah, I, saw, I was there. Yeah, yeah, he, he was really there. We talked to him. 500 at one time. And notice this, most of whom remain until now. You know, if you're Paul and you're trying to put, put out a lie, you're trying to hoodwink people, I don't think you would say, you know what? 500 people can corroborate what I'm saying and most of them are alive, so you can go talk to them. I would have kept that out. See, that I would have. But he didn't. And then he says, then he appeared, Jesus appeared to James as his half-brother, who, by the way, didn't believe in him before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Then to all the apostles again. And then he says, Paul writes, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. By the way, the word he uses is miscarriage. Miscarriage. What does that mean? Well, it means that if he wanted to compare him to the other apostles, he was, it was as if it was a miscarriage. You know, he was just born wrong. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Yeah. Tough language. As one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Notice what he says. I am the least of the apostles. He's talking about as a person. Okay? He's the least of the apostles. Why? I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Now, now get this, though. He is an apostle. So he's not, he, he not talking about his gift of being an apostle, his calling. He's talking about him. He's saying, this is the last person in the world that Jesus should have called was me. That's what he's really saying. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Why? I persecuted the church of God. To give you a sense of this, it would be as if a member of ISIS who was killing Christians all over the place was then taken by the Lord and picked to be the evangelist throughout all of the, wherever that guy was, Asia or the Middle East. That's, that's what happened. Jesus took the worst sinner who ever lived, persecuted the church, and made him the apostle to the known world in Rome, the Roman Empire. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You should think about that every day. Two ways, by the way. Don't get too cocky. Right? Think there's anything about you. Okay? But on the other hand, don't be shocked when you're doing things or when you think back to things that really like, wow, that's not at all the way a Christian should act. Especially when people tell you that. Well, that's not a way a Christian should act. You, know? you say, well, listen, I was a hundred times worse than this. Okay, before I became a Christian, right? And the thing about it is, is that I'm, I'm a, a, a vessel of the grace of God. He's not done with me, right? He who began a good work in me, man, it was a tough project, it, nearly impossible. He began the work, but he's not going to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. So deal with the fact that I'm an imperfect vessel. You should think that way. I certainly do. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. You know, his output of work and his evangelistic ministry was really bigger than all the other apostles combined. 
I mean, that's why if you look at the New Testament epistles, right? How many of them are written by Paul? 13 or 14. How many were written by all the other apostles? I think it's like seven. I have the numbers wrong, but he wrote way, way more. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. When you see somebody doing a great thing for the Lord, the first thing you should not do is look at yourself and say, how come I'm not doing that? The answer is, is because they're doing it by the grace of God. That's their calling. By the way, you have a calling. And it'll be by the grace of God that you can complete that too. And it may not be as big as somebody else's. But then again, you're not God. And I, he has his reasons. By the way, think about it this way. What was it? What was, did he, what did he, who did he pick to have the great, arguably the greatest ministry in the church ever? Paul, the worst sinner who ever lived. Hmm. So let's think about that. So today, people that have a big impact and influence, I mean a real one now, I'm not talking about the phonies and the charlatans. I mean, you know, it could very well be that the same thing happened. (laughs) That he picked a sinner and said, boom, we're all sinners, but I mean somebody who was really a mess in this area, the last person you would think the Lord would pick. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. That's what Paul's saying. Not I. The grace of God with me. Whether it was they or or I, we preach, so we preach the gospel. So you believed. Well, here in verses 1 to 11, Paul addresses three undeniable facts, okay, about the resurrection of Christ first. The resurrection of Christ is an essential part of the gospel. In other words, if there's no resurrection... There is no gospel message to be believed. Get it? If there's no resurrection, that's part of the message of the gospel. If that's a lie, then what do you think is the rest of it? It's a lie. So none of it can be believed if the resurrection is not believed. Okay. He also says here that resurrection was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And indeed it was. If you want to check it out, you can write this down. Psalm 16 is a great place to see the Old Testament, foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ. So that's the first point he makes. This is the fir- first evidence he gives. The second thing is, and we've seen this, <coughs> he tells us, he sends this letter, and to us as well, proving that this resurrection of Christ was well attested by many witnesses. Many people saw him alive from the dead. And they were all willing to, to, to testify to that. Over 500 and you know, it's interesting. There were different people at different times. One time it was James. One time it was the 11. One time it was 500. Different people. Different places. So, you know, some were in Jerusalem. Some were in Galilee. One was on a mountain. And different times. So this is a very, very strong evidence, right? If you had a, if you're in a situation where you're trying to prove something in court, you know, a lot of people want to get one alibi, you know, one witness to say, oh, no, he wasn't there. Jesus had over 500. And there were all kinds of people. Yes, the people closest to him. But also 500 other people. And they all would testify that they met, they had, they met Jesus alive from the dead after he was crucified. And they were, most of them were alive 25 years later because that's when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. <coughs> and he even named names, right? Peter and James. By the way, they were easily located at that time because they were ahead of the church in Jerusalem. And the third thing is this. Paul himself, he says, listen, 
me. Not, not even his message anymore. He says, me. I am a powerful witness to the resurrected Christ. Why? Because his encounter with the risen Jesus changed everything about him. Everything about him. In one instant, he changed from the persecutor of the church to the hardest working and most persecuted preacher of the gospel. And finally, he joined Peter and the other apostles in preaching the death and resurrection of Christ. I invite you to go to the book of Acts and start reading the messages that were preached by Peter, by, by Paul, mostly, Philip. Look at the messages that were preached. Every one of them preaches the death and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it kind of works the other way. And what I mean by that is that you can preach that a, that a great man who said he was the Son of God died on a cross. Okay? And most people at that time would say, well, you know, yeah, Romans crucified people. But when you tell him that this particular person wrote, was raised from the dead, well, that didn't ever happen. You see it? So you kind of work backwards. You're saying this Jesus who said he was the son of God, and before he died, said that he would be raised from the dead three days later, that all came to pass. Now you got their attention. Okay? Then you can say, well, and then he died for our sins and he was buried. So, for example, if you want, you can write these down. There's many others in the book of Acts, but these are the early ones with Peter. Show that he preached the same thing. Acts 3, 11 to 26. Acts 4, 1 to 12. And Acts 5, 27 to 32. These are the first three messages that Peter preached to the Jews. Now, yes, he was presenting Jesus as the Messiah at this point. All right. But also, he preached the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's verses 1 to 11. The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, starting in verse 12, he pivots. Pivots away from the evidence into the opponents and their claim. Remember from verses 12 to 19, which we're about to read, they were all about Paul refuting the false claim that there's no resurrection of the dead. Now let's read that together. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, it follows that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is vain. Our preaching of the gospel is empty. By the way, that means your faith is also empty. Moreover, we, the apostles, are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ when in fact he didn't do it. If what you're saying is true. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here's another implication. Your faith is worthless, but not only that, you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only... We apostles are among all the people in the world the most to be pitied. Pathetic. Paul lays it all out here. He lays it all on the line. He's saying, if your claim is true, look at all of the implications. 
He's basically saying there's no gospel, there's no faith, there's no forgiveness of sins, none of that. That's the I want you to think about that. Because, you know, there's a kind of a loosey-goosey approach to the resurrection of Christ sometimes. You, it is the gospel message, part of it. And people have to believe that in order to be saved. So Paul lays it all on the line. He's basically doing this. He's saying, all right, for the sake of argument, I'm going to treat your claim now as though we're true. If it's true, then here are all the things that follow. So he takes it as if it were true, and then he advances his argument against it. And you can look at it, but there's seven ifs there. And every one of them advances his argument. If this, then that. Okay, if that, then the other thing. If the other thing, then that other thing. See how that's how it works? It's like a chain of logic that is basically going to demolish that false claim. And his main argument is really simple. The bodily resurrection of Christ and the bodily resurrection of believers are inseparable. Okay? Not the, the Corinthians, a lot of them wanted to separate the two. Well, I'll believe that Christ rose from the dead, but I don't believe that any, any believers rise from the dead. Okay? What Paul is saying here is, listen, the bodily resurrection of Christ and the bodily resurrection of believers are inseparable. Inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Do away with one, and the other is wiped out as well. Look at verse 12 again. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In other words, he's saying this. Don't think that you can just toss aside the resurrection of the dead, believers, and still claim that Christ has been raised from the dead. Why? Well, it's it's a simple, logical thing. Notice, if dead men don't rise, which was their claim, and Christ was dead in that tomb, then Christ didn't rise. That makes sense? If, If anybody who's dead doesn't rise, Christ was dead. Therefore, he didn't rise. I mean, it's ironclad logic, you know? If, uh, if all men are liars, and I'm a man, then I'm a liar. By the way, that's true. Not behind the pulpit, hopefully. But you get the idea. Okay, that's the logic, perfect logic. Notice verse 14, though. He moves to the next logical implication. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Useless. By the way, that also means your faith is useless because you believed in what we preached. In other words, if Christ has not been raised, our gospel preaching is empty. It's devoid. It's useless. It's not true. And that means that your faith is also empty, useless, void, based on something that's a lie. That's how important it is that we recognize and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Again, it's really simple. If you remove any part of, there should be of, of the foundation, remove any part of it, the building will collapse. Any part of it. What are the key parts of the gospel? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead. Leave any of those out, and you don't have the gospel, and the building will collapse. 
I hope that is something that you take to heart. You know, and I say that because, my gosh, there's all kinds of people preaching all kinds of gospels today. You know what I'm saying? If you repent of your sins and accept Jesus in your heart, then you'll be saved. How many times have you heard that? Too many, right? The message is that Jesus just loves you. And if you accept that love, you're saved. You know, no. I mean, he does love us. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is that Jesus, God's son, died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead three days later. They believe that, they're saved. And only that. And all of that. Verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. What an indictment of a preacher, isn't it? A false witness of God. Because we testified against him. We said he raised Christ. And if what you say is true, then God didn't raise him. And if that's true, then nobody's, nobody's been raised. In fact, the other way around. If the dead are not raised, then God didn't raise Jesus. And then that means, because we said he did, we're false witnesses of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that Paul and the apostles, if the dead are not raised, they would be found out to be false teachers. They would have lied about God himself. How could they say that God raised Jesus from the dead if, in fact, God didn't raise Christ from the dead? How could they say that? It was a direct lie about God. In other words, (coughs) if the dead are not raised, Christ was not raised. And that would make Paul and the apostles liars. Step back for a minute. If their claim is true, Paul, Peter, James... John, Jude, Matthew, all liars. By the way, Luke and Mark are liars too because they also, all four Gospels say that Jesus rose from the dead. The book of Acts is full of the preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. All of those people who wrote all of those books would be liars. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. So if if they lied about God, nothing else they spoke or wrote, nothing else, that they spoke or wrote could ever be trusted. I mean, that was the thing. If, if you lied about God, that was like the worst thing you could do. We can't listen to you anymore. The Old Testament prophets who were found not prophecy something that didn't come about, you know, they were never listened to. In fact, some of them, they were still supposed to be stoned. Nothing else that they said or wrote could be trusted. And that goes for all of the writers of the Gospels and the book of Acts too, because all of them affirmed that Christ was raised from the dead. In other words, either Christ was raised from the dead or we all lied. And in that we, yeah, in the, in the first, um, first uh, generation, that would have meant the apostles and the writers. But it means the same thing now. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then I lied. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then every preacher in every pulpit who preaches the gospel is a liar. But in that first generation, it just simply means this. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no New Testament. Just take that out of your Bibles. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no New Testament. Because all of the people who wrote those letters and books of the New Testament testified that Jesus was raised from the dead. If he isn't, then throw away the New Testament. 
Can you see how all-consuming this becomes? We start by what looks like a pretty small claim, and then it just mushrooms into wiping out everything we know about Christianity. In fact, if Christ was not raised from the dead, Christianity, Christianity is a fraud. A lot of people are a little, Christians are a little gun-shy about the resurrection because that means a miracle. And you're afraid, well, you know, these people may not buy the miracle. I don't want to chase them away. Chase them away. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. Don't leave out the resurrection. If you do, then that means that. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, but I want you to think logically. There's no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. But notice what that means. You're still in your sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if Christ has not been raised, we're still in those sins. If Christ has not been raised, the gospel you've believed is worthless And if the gospel message is wrong, then your sins have not been dealt with. They haven't. If Christ is not raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. They haven't been dealt with. Why? Because Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. If he didn't, then he was a liar. If he didn't, then everybody who preached who said that your sins have been forgiven on the basis of the death and resurrection of Christ, they were liars. I mean, it's all been a fraud and you're still in your sins. Now, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about your sins if Christ didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead in order to have your sins forgiven and have you declared righteous before God? You tell me. What are you going to do? That's the whole point of the gospel, is that you could never do it, and therefore God's Son had to do it. And so, so it gets to that. See how it gets to everything? It gets to, so anybody out there who's a sinner... If Christ isn't raised from the dead, there's no solution, buddy. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die, and you'll die in your sins, and there is a judgment. Please turn to Romans 4.22. Romans 4.22. If the gospel is wrong, your sins have not been dealt with. You stand condemned before God, unrighteous, He can have nothing to do with you. Look at Romans 4, 22. Well, you know, Pastor Paulius, this isn't a very uplifting message here. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Paul, it was a genius. The Holy Spirit is a genius. What he does here is to wipe out any doubt that you would have that Christ did, in fact, was raised from the dead. He's dealing with it. You know how a lot of times we try not to deal with tough issues? You know what I'm saying? Paul went at it straight on. Okay, fine. Let's say you're right. That's a good technique to use, by the way. A lot of times they're trying to shoot us down. You should just say, okay, well, let's just say you're right. Now where are we? Let's just say that the Mormons are right. Now where are we? Really, where are we? If If Islam is right, where are we? Lost is right. And there's no God of love. And there's no forgiveness of sin. That's where we are. Hmm. Romans 4.22. Therefore it, this is Abraham's faith, the father in faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, what, the very righteousness of God, but for our sake also, to whom it, God's righteousness, will be credited. Why? As those who believe in him who what? Raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He goes on. He was, he was delivered over because of our transgressions. Because he sinned, we, because we sinned, he was delivered over to die for our sins. Next, though. And he was raised because of our justification. Because we're justified, he was raised from the dead. Meaning, if he wasn't raised from the dead, then we aren't justified. In other words, no resurrection. Whoops, I don't have that. Oh, anyway. No resurrection means no crediting of the righteousness of God. None. Nobody can have it. Look at, go back to 1 Corinthians and take a look at verse 15, chapter 15, verse 18. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, if we don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, then there's no justification. Righteousness cannot be credited to us. He was raised because of our justification. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no resurrection of the dead. They're gone. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, the apostles, we are of all men most to be pitied. What is this saying? It's saying that if there's no resurrection, believers who have died will never be with us again. That's what he's saying. Can you see all of the implications of this one lie? Finally, if there's no resurrection, the only thing that we have to hope in is what we get in this life. That's the only thing we have to hope in. Your bucket list. That's it. That's why people who don't, aren't believers in Christ, that's so important to them. If they believe that when you die, that's it, he who dies with the most toys wins, then what are they going to do? They're going to place their hope in their toys, and then they hope they get more than the other guy. That's all you got. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, that's all you got. The only thing that you can hope for is what you get in this life. Now think about the apostles in view of that. They lost their life to gain Christ. If all they can hope for is in this life, then they lost everything. They were persecuted when they preached the gospel. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, they were hoodwinked beyond anybody else, the apostles, because they were persecuted when they preached the gospel. That's heavy, isn't it? That's some heavy stuff. Where did it start with? Paul taking right on a false claim that that there's no resurrection of the dead. Well, thank God that that hypothetical is wrong. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Should be the next verse. I love it. He's He's done with his argument. He's shown the implications of it. And everybody's sitting there saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I like that other stuff. I like the fact that my sins have been forgiven. I like the fact that I have hope that I'm going to see my family who's died. I like all of that. 
I like the New Testament. You're telling me if I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, all of that is wiped out. Uh Uh-huh. So can you see how they're really now hoping against hope that the resurrection is true? That's what Paul's doing here. He's deepening our love and gratitude for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he finally says, okay, enough of that. Now Christ has been raised from the dead. You know what I'm saying? Praise God for that. Why? Because all that other stuff that, you, that would have been thrown out, I still have. I, still, I know I'm declared righteous before God. I know my sins have been forgiven. All of that is true because Christ did rise from the dead. And he has noticed the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, him rising from the dead means that all believers who are dead will rise from the dead. For since by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, the entire human race, all die, so also in Christ, all believers will be made alive. Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a really simple, amazing statement. Turns out that verses 12 through 19 were nothing but a bad dream. We can all rest easy. 1 Corinthians 6.14 Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Because He was raised from the dead, we will be. Because He has a resurrection body, we will have one. He will transform our corrupt bodies into His body like His own. All of that is true because Christ was raised from the dead. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Because we as Christians understand all that that means, or, or some of what it means. We can go to our Bible and read what it means. And we can be secure. Now that we know that, 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 the, that the argument against it has been demolished, now we know it can rest completely on the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and powerful, that the word of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to we who are being saved, it is the very power, your very power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in our lives now. And we just thank you so much, Father, for this amazing gift. We thank you that your grace is poured out on us every day. We thank you that on the basis of the resurrection and ascension, Your son ascended to heaven. He's seated at your right hand. We also know that one day he will come back for us. And we know in the meantime that, spiritually speaking, we were raised with him. We have ascended with him. And we it's as if we are seated with him at your right hand. That's what it all means. We know that when we pray, Father, like we're doing right now, we know that you hear us and that Jesus Christ is sitting at your right hand interceding for us. And the Holy Spirit that he sent is inside of us praying for, and when we can't find the words to pray what's in our heart. So we thank you for all that, Father. We ask now that by your grace that we would be who you've made us to be, and in particular that we would be the kind of witnesses for the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you have ordained for us to be in the place that you put us, in the words and the life that you give us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Just a reminder again, 
Uh, we won't be having Bible study on Thursday. Our next su- service is next Sunday at 10, and Steve Pomeroy will be preaching on 1 Peter. All right. I know that you've heard the gospel this morning, but I want you to hear it one more time. All right, I want you to hear it one more time. There may be people who are listening to this message who have not believed the gospel. But here it is, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He did go to the cross and die physically. He died for our sins. He took our sins in his body on the cross. Because of that, our, our God forgives us our sins. He was buried. He was buried. That showed that he died. He was raised from the dead three days later. And witness after witness after witness testified to that fact. And now God turns to you and everybody who has heard the gospel today and has never believed, like Thomas hadn't believed, and he says, believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And you see, you're one of those precious ones that Jesus said, blessed is he or she who has not seen and yet believes. God God gives you the power to believe even though you haven't seen Jesus come out of that grave. So trust that fact. Trust the fact that the power of God is in that message I just gave you and that you, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, are able to believe that. So believe it. And then the next time we gather together, you can celebrate all the things that we celebrate as believers in Christ. All the things that are true will be true about you forever. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for all that you've provided for us. We thank you most of all for Jesus, as we always do. But today in particular, the fact that he was raised from the dead. Father, we would just ask that you would have the Holy Spirit mature and enrich our understanding of the gospel so that as we preach it, we can preach it with power as it's meant to be preached. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have any questions about the Bible, about today's message, about the gospel, I will be here in front for a few minutes, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Other than that, you're dismissed. Enjoy Resurrection Day. It's meant to be enjoyed.